Welcome to The Other Storyteller, the podcast sparking conversation in the arts and media world. I'm Maria, a filmmaker, entrepreneur, and curious artist from Colombia, living in the UK and Canada. The world is full of stories of cultures, places, and people, and I want to meet the most inspiring artists and storytellers from across cultures to uncover the stories that become art. All right, so today we have a great guest, and I am really, really excited for you to meet him. Um, so Brayden has actually worked for NPC as well as Sony and Disney. And uh, you might know that these are some of the huge post-production houses uh, out there and media companies, but he's also a very eclectic artist, an artist that does everything from illustration, um, video, photography. And so we're really excited to have Brayden today. Welcome, Brayden. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So... How are you? How's everything? Good, keeping busy. Um, as you mentioned, I was working for Sony Pictures. And now I'm at Disney. I've been at Disney for probably a month and a half. So keeping busy with new job and easing into that world of Disney animation and a new project. That is very, very exciting. And um, I imagine that right now it's like different workflows or different companies, um, which is something that maybe some of the people that listen to the podcast have heard about, but um, do you find it really different in terms of the type of environments that you encounter in say a post-production house, an animation studio? Yeah, it's a bit different. So working for Sony, we did um, both visual effects projects like live action visual effects and animated projects and Sony Pictures Imageworks is a vendor for client companies like Marvel and even Disney was one of their client companies um, and so now working for Disney like we don't have a client side and a vendor side we're all kind of just one team so that's been a really nice change um, and I'm working for Disney Animation Studio so it's just been animated projects which is really really fun and rewarding. Oh, I imagine that that has to be like, uh, you know, a little bit of connecting with that inner child and um, just having, yeah. you know, that joy of like making part of the things that made up your world and your first probably exposures to media. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's wild that I'm either encountering people directly and working with them or, or seeing them on different teams at work or I'm seeing names and it's like they've worked on projects that were formative in childhood or like ones that I watched as a child um so it's it's really cool it's full circle oh that is so great I love hearing stories like this and um maybe I didn't do a great introduction of explaining so you're a supervisor in uh, Disney at the moment so you're more mm -hmm. on the side of production right Correct. Yeah, it's more like project management, overseeing departments and making sure that the project and movies stay on track. That is fantastic. And so um, some of you might know that that is uh, kind of the background that I also come from. So production, project management. But I want to dive deep into how did you ever, like first find out that you wanted to work in media in film and um, a little bit of going back and connecting that story of your inner child and satisfying that um, like beautiful full circle that is seeing media, making it part of who you are and then just making part of it. Yeah, it's actually, it, it's been a journey. And like, 
um, as a kid, like I didn't necessarily know I wanted to work in movies and didn't even really know it was an option. Um, I grew up in like a small town uh, called Fort St. John in northern BC, Canada. So it was, it was fairly like rural. There was maybe 20,000 people as the population uh, was isolated from other bigger cities. Like you'd have to drive for hours to get any, anywhere um, bigger with more people or more to do. Um, but I knew I loved to create and I liked, I loved to do art. And um, I did that growing up all through school and high school. And then, um, you know, classic teenager, when you're coming to graduation, you don't really know what you want to do. And so I thought, okay, well, uh, let's, let's at least do, you know, a couple years in art and get an art diploma. And then that turned into finishing an art degree. Um, so I have a BFA in film, video, and media from Emily Carr, which is where I met you. And um, I started in Red Deer, Alberta, um, my art education. And I went there because I, I had friends there that I lived with and I went to school there. Um, so it started out as traditional art, like painting, design, drawing, ceramics, um, you know, the basics that you have to start in. And then um, I moved to Vancouver to finish pursuing um, my degree. And I initially transferred into photography because I was doing that as well, just sort of in my spare time, kind of dipping my toe into that world. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like getting family or friends to just like pose for photos for me if I had any like ideas or concepts and yeah. um, learning just how to, how to use the cameras that I had access to. Um, and so I, I moved to Vancouver, BC to finish my degree. Um, I started in photography and then um, being in a bigger city, I was introduced to a world of film and there was always lots of filming going on. And I ended up working as a background actor on sets. And so I worked on different um, movie projects, TV, that sort of thing. Um, and I realized like, wow, there's this is a busy industry here in Vancouver. There's like lots going on. This is really fun. Um, I didn't necessarily think like, oh, I wanna, you know, just do background acting, but I thought, hey, I could actually maybe do something behind the scenes, either with cameras or lighting or audio. Um, and so then that's when I transferred my major from photography into film, video, and media. Um, and then that was really fun. We got to do all of our, um, you know, self-produced and directed projects, as you know, and it opened a world of experimental practices in the film world where I made film dresses, um, out of film strip and then so coming out of my degree um, I was determined to just like stay in Vancouver and work um, mm -hmm. I because typically I would have gone back to my hometown and worked for mm -hmm. the summers but I was determined I was like this is my grad year I'm gonna I'm gonna stay put I'm gonna find a job and try and get into film um, and I I did I luckily did I found a job at MPC, which is, which stands for Moving Picture Company. And I, I started as a runner there. Um, so I did that for three months and it was, that was basically just like a facility type assistant getting lunch and coffee and cleaning and, mm -hmm. you know, all the, all the, all the grunt work. Um, and then I've just learned along the way. And from there I moved up to being a production assistant and then a production coordinator. And then I moved over to um, Sony Pictures Imageworks. And then I, 
um, you know, moved up and then I was a senior coordinator and then I became an associate production manager. And now I moved over to Disney where I'm a production supervisor. So it's been a ride, but it's, it's been a great learning journey. That is so great. And I think that's one of the things that I love highlighting about it is that every single story of people that are in this media world happens so differently. There's a lot yeah. of kind of chance involved in it. <laughs> There's a lot of like, I wanted to do this and I went the other way. But yeah. you have to say that you are definitely one of the most successful people from that great graduation year. And uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know, it almost doesn't seem like chance and luck because it's kind of like a very niche um, job and, and mm -hmm. direction to go into. But it definitely is, you know, I think you have a vision and you pursue that vision, you take steps towards it. And one thing that I always kind of try to say to people, and I try not to glamorize it too much because... There's always like in media, there's the jobs that you start at usually are either free, so you don't get paid yep. or you get paid and you do a lot of things that you don't love doing. So you um, often have to be a runner or often have to um, do cleaning or yeah. a lot of the production assistants say on set, for example, sit down in a parking lot for hours, mm -hmm. and days, and um, it can be... <laughs> It can be a little bit soul crushing at first. Yeah. <laughs> um, I totally admit to that. Um, but, you know, I would love to, for you to tell people like what you thought maybe at first and how you are seeing it now from the other side. Yeah, well, it's a great point that you like mentioned that is because like I definitely I did do free photography events or free, um, you know, film projects or something. Um, and then as a runner, my first job in the industry, like I was making minimum wage and this was years ago. So it was like, not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but I, I did what I could and what I had to do. So I was every week I was working overtime. I never worked a 40 hour week. Um, so I was working overtime to just like earn enough. And then with that came free meals. So yeah. it's like, you kind of have to do it, um, do what you have to do to like get through that rough phase. Um, and looking back on it, it's, it was valuable and it, it definitely was a lot of hard work, but I think during those times when I was a runner or when I was a PA, I always sort of tried to keep my mindset on, you know, the next steps ahead or like, what was I learning or what did I need to learn and to, to get to that next position or that next role or a new project or a new studio. Um, and it's, it's led me to Disney. And so it's, it's, I think it's good to keep your eyes on a, a goal or a target. Um, and looking back, it was worthwhile. So it taught me a lot and it allowed me to learn everything on my own and with support of my peers, of course, in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's um, you know, it's like a little bit of, being humble and having um, a vision. That maybe the analogy that I, I would make there, it's you have to show your worth in this industry, but you also have to know your worth. So it's yeah, uh, finding that fine balance between 
the things that you do for free and the things that you do that are difficult and knowing when to walk away from those things because I also know that it can be really easy to get stuck in the doing free stuff for people all the time right yeah and like I mean I I I kind of had this mindset of like I'll do things for free mm -hmm. while I was a student like while I was in university because that was my learning period and I mean even maybe a couple of years into my career in film but then it got to a point later where I, you know, I had stronger portfolios in my professional artistic practice, or I had more experience in the film industry or in creative industries, where if I, to be honest, people would have approached me for like a free, free thing or free work. And it, the answer was kind of just no, because now I'm more established and I've learned what I've needed to do. And, you know, your project, while it may look or sound very cool and great to do, but you know, it might not add to my creative portfolio. It might not add to my work experience because I might've already done that actually. So mm -hmm. I don't need to do that for free because I'm not learning how to do that. That's absolutely true. And I think that um, when you choose what you do for free, which is a, an interesting topic, there's like, you either believe in the project and you're dying to do it, right? Yes. Or you're trying to learn something or get some networking out of it and it sounds really transactional but in a mm -hmm. way it's time and time is limited so you really yeah. have to be very um decisive about that kind of thing um but also there's like the point that you can love a project and believe in a project and still get paid and mm -hmm. um I, I always invite people to also like think about you know is the person that you're working with in a position to pay you because at the end of the day yeah. like cinematographers of the best films in the world got paid to do the films right exactly yeah yeah you know it all comes with experience and it's it's great if you are passionate and you love a project and if you are willing to do it unpaid but mm -hmm. at the end of the day you need to earn a living and you need to have your value seen for sure that definitely is um aligned with the way that i think and i think a lot of people in the industry get to think that way. It's a constant struggle, but um, definitely one thing to to have shared with people. And thank you so much for opening about that because I think a lot of people yeah, try to talk about that development phase or just talk about it in like a very negative way that doesn't encourage people to to get into the world. Yeah, exactly. And like I think people who want to get their foot into the creative world or media world um it's not like a negative mindset like it's just it's something that you know you might go through a period where you're maybe not in a, a position or a place where you think you want to be or where you think you should be at the time but you also have to remember that like your own journey is not the same as anyone else's and exactly. I've definitely had to remember that and remind myself of that throughout the years as well like maybe someone seems like they're a step or two ahead but maybe Maybe they started earlier. Maybe they are just on a different journey than you. Maybe they've had different opportunities or taken on different projects or vice yeah. versa. Maybe you feel like you're ahead of people who should be in the same position as you. Yeah, it is a, it is a really difficult one. I think in comparison in this media world, you know, some people have taken a lot of jobs that they've hated over the years and they've got somewhere you know like yeah. i know a lot mm -hmm. of people that um well in the industry just 
a little bit of an analogy. There's people that go into camera work, for example. So some people go and do MOWs where they are getting paid very little and often, not always, doing work that they don't love, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but they're not getting paid union wages, but they move really fast to be camera um, operators or DPs, and yeah. then they are able to enter IATSE as like the union, as mm -hmm. operators to work in great shows. Whereas some people from the beginning say, you know, I want to be paid a fair wage. Uh, and so it takes a little bit more time sometimes to get there. It obviously has a lot to do with um, the network that you make and the people that trust you. But I'll leave that one in a parenthesis because <laughs> it's all about you today. Um, but I wanted to hear a little bit about how you balance as well all of your work in say all of these companies so disney and sony with your art making because at the end of the day you know people forget that producers are also creatives and you are definitely mm -hmm. one of the most creative and eclectic people i've ever met like <laughs> oh thank you. you make amazing art very like i love your use of pop culture and i just would love to hear about how you balance that time split yeah so it's kind of actually why I've stayed in sort of the project management stream of things because people have asked me like, oh, well, why don't you get into doing like the animation or doing the lighting, doing the creative work in in the industry that I work full time in? And my answer is always, well, I enjoy being in this world of animation and film and media, but I don't want like my full time job or focus to be the creative aspect of my life. I I. I want to be a part of the world and help create these projects, but I don't want to do the necessarily the creative work in those worlds because mm -hmm. I want to leave that for my private practice and my personal work because I want to still have like a creative brain, I guess, over in my own life so that I can create my own work and, and still have passion for creating and not, I guess, not necessarily feel burnt out if I was doing it full time on projects or on other people's projects, kind of. Because mm -hmm. you you might be passionate about a project, but it's still at the end of the day, it's a screenwriter's project or a director's vision. Mm -hmm. um, whereas keeping keeping it to my personal practice, it's it's all mine. Yes, I love that. I, I think that that is like um, very much the essence of what I've seen in your work. And I think that your work. I have to say, I am just like, I love your use of pop culture. I just, oh, thank you. I'm fascinated by it. I have to say, yeah. like, I don't see a lot of people um, like dive into it anymore. Like maybe at some point people were doing it, but I would love to actually hear, first of all, yeah. the story of how you went into a class of filmmaking with film and you ended up yeah. making a dress out of film and how that <laughs> ended up in a museum. Yeah, so that was at Emily Carr and that uh, that was like, it was an experimental practices course. And um, like, I didn't even really know much about it, but I was like, you know, this is a course that can supplement my degree. It seemed like it was a fairly open um, like curriculum for the class. and. It, it was an idea I actually had like a, a year or two before, but I didn't think I'd be able to necessarily get a chance to do it anytime soon. I thought, oh, maybe later in life, I don't really know how I'm gonna do this project yet. I don't know where, what world would need a project like this or where I could do it. Um, and so then because it was so open-ended, I decided to use Filmstrip 
instead of a projected media and used as structural medium because film strip, we always just think of it being a movie. It's projected, you watch the light that has passed through the film strip, but you don't actually pay attention necessarily to the film strip itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so then that's when I built Marilyn Monroe's dress out of film strip. Um, the ivory one she wore in the seven year itch. I think everyone knows that image. And that was just an image that had always stuck out to me as like the image of pop culture or the image of Hollywood. Um, and so I built that dress out of film strip and it was made to her measurements. Uh, it was wearable, it has a, zip, a zipper and a buckle. Um, and so I did that project in 2015 and I had a friend in Vancouver who had sort of an oddities antique shop and she allowed me to showcase the dress in her shop because it was also a shop, again, related to film. A lot of filming happened there, TV shows, movies, directors would come in and out, people would buy props for sets, um, location scouts would come in and, and contractor space for use in their projects. Mm -hmm. um, and so she was like, oh, this would be perfect. Like, it'd be so cool for all these film creatives to see this, this project that I did. Um, and so I displayed it there. And of course, lo and behold, people were coming in and seeing the dress, loving the dress, wanted to buy it, but like, it wasn't priced. She didn't know the price. I didn't know what it would be worth. Cause I was like, this is a dress made of film strip. Like I haven't seen anything like that. And so she's, she asked like, well, if you do want to consider selling it, like think of a price, we could put a price on it and I, I could sell it through the shop if you want. And so I began that journey and that led me to just contacting Marilyn Monroe um, collectors, mm -hmm. just like of her, of her real clothes and real dresses, but like actual fabric dresses. Um, and out of the few I contacted, one had gotten back to me who I've stayed in contact with and um, as a friend and he he was kind of this same mindset he was like well I don't know what something like this would be worth because I've never seen something like this or like you know dresses don't exist being made out of film strip um, so he he didn't even know what the price would be but he did say um, I'm friends with and I have a contact who's the owner of the Hollywood Museum and they're going to be doing a Maryland exhibit this coming summer and I'm showing my personal collection there and I'd love to get you in touch. And so that got the ball rolling. I got in connection with the owner of the Hollywood Museum and they ended up um, offering me a spot in their exhibit alongside Marilyn Monroe's costumes. So they shipped my dress down. They actually valued it for me and insured it. And then they shipped it back at the end of the exhibit. So, I mean, even full circle, that's kind of back to like doing free work. That was a free exhibit that I did, but it was so valuable to me and so worthwhile. And the expenses for shipping and everything and, and having the dress up was covered. I didn't have to pay anything. Um, I did go down and see it, um, but it opened up a whole new world because then that turned into my grad project the following year where I built two more dresses. Audrey Hepburn and Judy Garland. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had exhibited those three for my grad show. And since then I've exhibited one of them in a different um, art show here locally in Vancouver last summer, which was queer focused actually. And um, it was sort of under the lens of the queer term friend of Dorothy and how that was sort of gay slang in the eighties um, back when 
you know, people couldn't openly identify as queer. You could ask someone if they were a friend of Dorothy. And that was a sign to say, yeah, I'm a gay person or I'm a, I'm a gay woman or a lesbian or a queer person or bi or whatever it may be. That was how you could identify as a gay person in secret. You were a friend of Dorothy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, one, on the one hand, I wanted to um, just highlight one thing about what you were just sharing before. Mm-hmm. It's so important to have, in a way, an entrepreneurial mind and to know the worth of your work again Mm -hmm. um you didn't know exactly what your dress was worth it and you could have said oh you know what I got this film strip at school or something and yeah this is how many hours and this is at how much I will charge you for my work for for the hour right which is quite intuitive um because that's the way that the world values most of the skills and the jobs I think you had the right um instinct to try to understand the value of what you were doing firstly mm-hmm. and secondly which for me is kind of like the most important thing is you were able to go and make a call or send an email contact someone and and didn't stay behind a desk trying to just like be scared like making mm-hmm. those connections in that network is what like really catapults people into having a career and, and being able to do something more with the great work that they do. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you like point that out, like that the world does work in that way where it's, it's kind of a labor mindset, right? It's like, okay, how many hours did you do on this? What would you charge per hour? Boom. There's your total for a piece or something, but in the art world, it's not necessarily that case, right? It's, it's, you know, even now, they're still one of my favorite projects or my film dresses and but I haven't seen anything since that's like it so it's it has more of a value not only to me but I think in the world um and even an instructor we had in university I remember telling me like seeing my first film dress um they said you know you gotta basically you have to make this go viral because someone's gonna rip this off and that kind of lit a fire under my butt and allowed me to start contacting these people and making those connections. And I, I had it copyrighted as well. So now I have a copyright for it. Um, and yeah, you really have to value yourself and remind yourself that your the value of your work and your pieces aren't necessarily just down to like the hours you put into it. It could be how it exists in the world, um, how others are seeing it and the value it brings to that. Absolutely. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some other value that you're bringing into the world, in into narrative and into creative, and that mm-hmm. I know you're a huge advocate for it, and it's uh, LGBTQ rights. And yeah. um, I really believe that you are definitely outspoken um, about, say, like ending transphobia and um, a lot of the cases that are very unjust that are happening in the world. And mm-hmm. you were just mentioning um, having been in the in the in the exhibition. So I would like for you to maybe um, talk to us a little bit about what you think is the value of media and communication in making a change in that space. Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely just it starts a discussion, right? Visual media and art is such a huge part of the world, whether people realize it or not. It's in music, it's in movies, it's in graphic design, it's in marketing, it's in 
writing and literature. Um, and so having like queer representation is so important. And not only just as a human, but as a gay man myself, like I have grown up um, as a teenager having either trans friends or non-binary friends or other, other gay friends um, and still do to this day in adulthood. And it's, it's you know, back 10 years ago, I, I would have hoped that now in 2023, we'd be a little bit further along. And we are in, in many cases um, for LGBT rights. But then you think of, you know, things happening in the world and down in the U.S. where there are bills going in that are anti-gay and anti-trans and even anti-woman anti and like anti-women's health care. Um, and it's, it just feels like um, certain groups are trying to erase minority representation. And I feel like media and art can help kind of counteract that um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a certain way and help fight that fight, I guess. And um, one of my projects from last summer, which I might actually exhibit again this summer, is um, a neon sign that I called Possess. And it's, it's cursive writing of mine and it spells out pride and then it's a reflection ambigram. So when it's flipped or yeah, when it's flipped or like I also printed it on, on clothing. So one way it'll say pride, but then the person looking in the mirror, it says love backwards. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that was just even like a subtle way for me to like exude pride. But then when someone looks in the mirror, it reminds them of self-love. Mm -hmm. um, and I used that project and I exhibited that last summer and did sort of this marketing campaign for all this, this merchandise and donated 50% of the proceeds to Rainbow Railroad, um, which is an organization that helps queer refugees coming to Canada and um, helps, you know, helps fund them and set up their new life and bring them to safety. So art and media plays a huge part in that. And I think representation is important because it shows the world like we're not going anywhere and it it helps normalize queer people we're always we've always been normal we are normal but it helps um the majority see that the minority is also included in this big melting pot um and i think it's helped change the conversation about gay people or trans people as not being a punchline like not a punchline in a tv show or movie we're not a joke. We can be leading characters. We can be everything you are and more, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely. It's an interesting thing what you were saying about the punchline or or whatever um, in media and, and the spot that things are taking. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts on something. It might be a little bit polemic. And I, as always, say to people, you know, this is uh, creating conversation around different things and different topics. Mm -hmm. um, and that I think it's where this podcast exists. But I've been noticing quite a bit um, in terms of diversity, a lot of shows are introducing like a random character that is LGBTQ and then yes. another one that is uh, maybe of color. And then, mm -hmm. but it almost doesn't seem like any stories are still about them. You know, it's almost like yeah. you just haven't realized that there's stories that they need to be mm -hmm. told and they're trying to meet a little bit of quota. What is your 
feeling around that? Do you think that that contributes in a way still, or do you think that it kind of takes away? It's a little bit of both. I think it comes with like, I guess, good intention, I want to say, but also a little bit like you just mentioned is like trying to hit that quota or trying to, you know, meet the, yeah, in inclusive quota so that a project may seem very diverse, but until I think there are just as many projects that have, um, you know, by POC people in a leading role or a queer person in a leading role as there are that have a white person or a, a straight or a cishet person in the leading role. I think until there is that balance, it's like we still need to be pushing against that and we still need to be um, fighting for representation because, yeah, we it's like, I think we've sort of changed the mindset that queer people are not a punchline, mm -hmm. but we're still sort of stuck in like a background or a supporting mm -hmm. sort of character in stories. Yeah. Um, and I, I've even been in, in situations or on projects where it is kind of like um, a little bit like a quota, but I think there's more um, genuine mindset and effort put into it. In, I mean, only in this instances I've been in um, where, you know, leaders of a project might have been like, no, we do actually need, we need more diverse characters or we need more skin tones or we need, you know, even subtle things like we're going to put like a pride button on this character or a trans flag in the background of this shot or whatever that might mean. But yeah, I think we definitely can use more visibility and even... Um, more frequent visibility not necessarily as subtle mm -hmm. yeah and definitely meaningful I think as well is mm -hmm. uh, what we were talking about about like you know making these characters come to life and not just being yeah. like visible but without a sound without a yeah a voice in a story it's like almost like too subtle like they want to make a character queer but they don't want it don't want them to be too obviously queer right they mm -hmm. want them to just be it'll be subtly well you know we might allude to something or we might have a, a lesbian couple in the background but like mm -hmm. I think we need to push those boundaries and represent in a leading way yes for sure I think I think so too I definitely see how I mean, if there's like a change and then a little bit of reluctance to change and sometimes a little bit of like very good intention in what's being mm -hmm. done, but maybe not doing enough. And mm -hmm. uh, we are all part of that, uh, same as myself, right? Um, but, yeah. you know, it's starting these conversations and really starting to think about it. That makes a difference. Yeah. So, do you have any films that you want to recommend or, I don't know, music videos, anything that occurs to you that you're like, these, I think, nails representation or Ooh. starts a conversation that's very powerful. Is there any piece that you can recommend to people right now? Because I know a lot of people are here because they want to get some yeah. recommendations. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's probably tons out there, but one I can think of is a show called Please Like Me, and it's on Netflix. Um, and it deals with a lot of topics, actually. It deals with, like, um, 
queer discovery and queer acceptance. It deals with like mental health. It deals with reproductive rights. It deals with so many things. And I think it's a very well done show. It's kind of like a dark comedy, but I think it's a a great place to start if people did want to see more realistic representation too, right? It's not always necessarily about rainbows and smiles and the happy stories. It's about showing the hardships as well. And, you know, I have to say that today, funny enough, is Pride in Birmingham. Oh, amazing. I just actually, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about that. It's actually Pride here. And um, yeah, it's a good coincidence, actually. But Mm -hmm. um, I actually hadn't heard about this show. Um, I have to say that for a filmmaker, I watch very little films and very little TV these days. I'm kind of the same way. I feel like sometimes I'm a bad... Like, like filmmaker because I I don't watch a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but it's, I guess it's because we keep busy with other projects, right? So yeah. And you get saturated a little bit about like just yeah. seeing media all the time moving in front of you. But I will definitely take a look at that. And I think that you know, like, yeah, I I really don't understand how I haven't heard about this show you know it's just it's yeah. one of those things it's like why you know well, like exactly why right. is it it's... not like advertised as heavily um I'm not yeah, sure cause... maybe I missed the advertisement but I did not see it on Netflix so far so yeah well it is it's an older show but it is a it's a good point that you have is like projects kind of like that or like queer stories they're not necessarily marketed as much right like mm-hmm. they kind of remain niche yeah. you have to search for them definitely I think that definitely is the case um yeah yeah I think that those are things that we need to um, overcome as an industry um mm-hmm. and also as a society I think that a lot of the time say um heterosexual people when they are first exposed to like say teasing sins of people like queer people right mm-hmm. can feel a little bit uncomfortable because it's something that they have never seen before and this might happen younger this might happen older um but I just think that it's it's so important to just be able to see this like I I actually this this week on the train I saw I am a people watcher low-key oh same Um, and I was like in front of this couple and I feel like they were so they looked like friends for the most part. And then mm-hmm. it was uh, two women. And then one starts like very subtly caressing the other person's arm. And like in a way that was almost like private to not be seen. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, it just, there was a part of me that was like, would this person be more affectionate in public in a different situation? Yeah. But at the same time, it just gave me so much warmth that it's like, you know, people still are finding that they are they are safe to to start like displaying more affection in public, you mm-hmm. know, and in, especially in spaces that that are not like um, your queer bar or your queer spaces or your queer yeah. and stuff like that. I think that that is so important because you guys are such an important part of our society and just to mm-hmm. see these not just in media or in specific spots it's important yeah, yeah and it is important and like 
representation doesn't else doesn't just normalize our existence but it helps normalize our safety and it's it's a good point you mentioned is that maybe that that queer couple like they were being very subtle because you never know who might be around they might you know approach you or you might be in a dangerous situation um and it's you know it circles back to the friend of Dorothy term and I I even was chatting with gay friends last night and one brought up something I didn't even know and it was that similarly to friend of Dorothy there was there's like a little symbol that queer women would get tattooed on their wrist and but it was so it was so small and subtle that it could be hidden with like a watch or something right so if they were in a situation um where they needed to hide unfortunately they could hide that symbol but then it was also alternatively they could you know reveal it if they felt they were in a safer situation and it was that sort of subtle representation that let other people know like I'm a queer person or I'm a safe safe person to be around yeah that is uh you know it's those stories are very interesting at the same time kind of sad to to hear that people have gone through this I have a friend that has recently a trans friend that has recently been assaulted um which is uh definitely like you just it's hard to be on the other side and not even know how to approach how to help um Mm -hmm. that's a whole nother story but uh, you know like I think that we don't even think that we're gonna be in situations like these uh with our friends with our family so it's really, really important that all of us become really aware and that, you know, as filmmakers and as media or artists, it's important that we start paving the way so this space might be safer as well for the community. Yeah, of course, right? It's like, it's preparing ahead of any sort of situation where someone could be in danger or, um, you know, discriminated against. And it's a good point you said is like, all sort of creatives and filmmakers or producers and project managers should be continuing and starting to pave the way. And especially I think even cisgender or heterosexual allies mm-hmm. should be a part of that, right? Like we're all one community, yeah. even as allies. Um, and it, it shouldn't necessarily always now be, you know, left to the gay men or women or trans people who have to do it. Yeah, I definitely think that. And um yeah, I, I wish that I, I had more exposure so I knew how to help better other people, for mm-hmm. example. But, um, okay, I'm going to move on to the last okay. closing questions because I know that we're a little bit of time on time and I always want to just keep going. This conversation is <laughs> yeah. so great. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, podcasting is like, you have to find that switch. Time point. limit. <laughs> um, but this has been lovely. And for me, really, really, you know, like, thought-provoking um mm-hmm. and thank you so much for being so open uh of course thank you for the great discussion no okay so I'm gonna close with basically three questions that's okay very light-hearted uh put you okay. on the spot quick thinking okay. okay so if you had to give yourself your younger self um little bit of advice to navigate mm-hmm. this media world what would you say what would you tell yourself to do differently or what advice would you give yourself um I would say try more things or like dive 
deeper into the things that did interest you as, as you know, a youthful person. Um, I feel like as, as people mature and, and navigate their um, youth and going into adulthood, it's like, it's kind of a fast lane. Like you're trying to figure out the entire world and where you fit in it or what you want to do. But sometimes we don't take enough time to figure out the interest, the things that interest us. I would just say like dive deeper into certain projects or niches or films that do interest you. For sure. For sure. I think that, you know, I have been on a similar situation, but difference. I dove into everything. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> stick with anything long enough. I, so yeah, I, I think, see. Why did I give that away? I should have I given that away too, at some point. It's like, <laughs> I, you know. I did painting, ceramics, drawing, photography, yeah. felt like I did a lot of different things, but. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I should have stuck with some things for a little <laughs> bit longer, you know, like I just kind of got like a little bit insecure and like quit <laughs> or right. the next thing, but I am like that in life, you know, like just come to, yeah. come to sense with that. <laughs> well, it all adds to your life and your creativity, so. For sure. I think that that's the, the nature of the creatives, a little bit of exploration. Mm -hmm. right so an art piece similar to what we said before but just any topic an art piece or film or music or installation anything but you're like ah I really just want to talk about this with people and I want people to go see it oh um that's a tough one <laughs> an art piece um a song, uh, anything. Um, anything creative. Um, I would actually, like, it's not even, you know, it's it's a new album. It's Kesha's new album called Gag Order. Yes. I think that came out today, and I've listened to it a few times, and I think it's really beautiful and really well-written and addresses um, a lot of mental health and... Mm -hmm. problems relating to abuse definitely I saw this on your Instagram because you can be up to date with the world actually so oh, absolutely you can just watch <laughs> people's stories and you're yeah. caught up but definitely you know what when she was like um she was singing some song and she's like making that coffee I have to say mm -hmm. that was like subtle and creative and great. And then I'm like, I just really need to listen to this album. So now that you're saying I'm going to go listen to it. Yeah. I'm and it's, while I do it's like, it's, it's like, sometimes I want like an album to be longer, but like this one doesn't seem like it needs to be. It's only 40 minutes. So it's like, you can turn it on, start to finish and in under an hour you've listened to it. And I think it's really cohesive and, and, new and interesting and the lyrics are really beautiful and meaningful right um and meaningful yeah and if people haven't heard what has happened to Kesha because I feel like it kind of was public but almost flew under the radar so go look yeah. into it online they well I think because people that. think it like when it kind of got to public eye I think people thought as soon as it sort of went under the radar I think people thought it was like dealt with and over yeah yeah but or fake news or something yeah yeah but it's been going on now for all these years yeah just behind the scenes yeah absolutely horrendous and um we'll look into it if you guys haven't because um 
yeah it's horrifying definitely like a free britney kind of thing yeah absolutely yeah. And uh, okay, now this one is a little bit weird as well. This one is okay. the weirdest. I have to, I have to admit, this is the weirdest. Okay, we love weird. We we love weird. Actually, you and I made a a film about that one store, Salma Gandhi West. I just remember. yeah, yes. that was the store that had my film dress in it. Yes, so very quirky store in Vancouver, um, and a little bit weird, but we love mm -hmm. weird. So, yeah. <laughs> um, if you could watch movies from one country. And for you, I'll extend it to one topic only okay. for a whole month. It's only one topic for a whole month. country. What would it be? Okay. Um, if it was one topic, I would focus on queer films. Yes. But what? And I'd want to see more queer stories. And I would love to just spend a month watching that. Um, and if it was one country, it would probably be um, like... I think it'd be Italy. Like, I just remember there was like an Italian film called The Bicycle Thief that I watched mm -hmm. in school and I really enjoyed it. So I'd want to see more films like that. <laughs> yeah, they have some beautiful films. And, um, you know, we sometimes think about Italian films and it's a little bit like, you know, the girl goes to Rome and falls in love. Yeah. Which I have yeah. to say, I love. I love. I love the Sabrina one. I love the one from like yeah. Maguire. I loved all of that. But yeah, right. Italian film has some beautiful stories from the mm -hmm. war, from old people as well, and from the villages. And it's not all like mafia and eat, pray, exactly right. <laughs> not just like the cliche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. All right. Are there any closing? remarks or anything else that you're like I want to say it. I need to say it in public um what should I say Ooh, I'll plug my next movie I can't talk about what I'm working on right now but I can tell you my last project at Sony Pictures Imageworks is out in two weeks from today I worked on Across the Spider-Verse which is what? the sequel to the Oscar winning Into the Spider-Verse very exciting and I actually <laughs> didn't know that and I Oh, freaking love it. I cried so much. Yeah, the first like one was sobbing. so good. I was sobbing with the first one, so I'm going to go watch the second one. And I am very proud of you because... Thank you. Oh, yeah, we upped the ante on this one. Like, it's it's beautiful. It's so cool. There's so am many I gonna different cry? styles in it. Am I going to cry? Um, Maybe. I think you'll really appreciate all the different art styles. Like, they're, the first one had kind of, like, one art style. Mm -hmm. Um, This one has, like... I don't even know, multiple, every different like world they're in has a different art style. Okay, I, I'm gonna go watch that. I'm gonna wear waterproof mascara just in case. You <laughs> yeah, know? There you go. You know, Bring it might, might come in handy. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so, so much for coming here and uh, well, thank you sharing for the invite. your story, bringing awareness and yeah, just being so honest and so open today. Yeah, well, thank you again, and thank you for the great discussion. It was so nice to see you again and connect. Oh, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.